Yeah, you go over there. This man, the cowboy, has gonna give you a whole spiel. All right, so you're hey, how's it going? Can I get your idea? Thank you so much. I guess it's the fact that it's like tradition to move in, so I think it's a lot more thankful that we get to continue this tradition and actually move in. Are you a freshman? Yeah. Yay, so this is a big day. It is a big day. <laughs> Uh, no, we just, his sister just graduated from the business school um, in May, so it's kind of a revolving door here at Tech and Murray. So this is our second and our last to be in Murray. Um, this is the second time we're doing it. So she's a soft, well, she'll be a junior at the end of fall. So um, last year was her first year, and I'm just ready to go in knowing what I'm doing and knowing my way around and not trying to walk to class and ending up on the highway again. <laughs> I'm just excited. Oh, it happens like five times. <laughs> Perfect. There you go, man. Thank you, boss. Yeah. You have a good day, Tyler. Thank you too. Yep. Uh huh. There you go, Natalie. Thank you. Yep. What are in these packets? So the in these packets, there's the room keys, the main thing. Um, they have a bunch of like coupons and parent magazines. I think they have the parking pass to put in your car to help you move in. We're so blessed that Texas Tech has put everything in place for him to be safe, but that he also gets to have a real college experience and do everything that his sister got to do, you know, four years ago. So we're very excited that he's here and the timing seems to be perfect and, and we're all we're Red Raider fans all the way. There are still a lot of uncertainties that many of us feel. And we recognize that COVID isn't over yet. But today, we're doing what we can. In this final episode, we continue to fight against this virus. As cases surge across the country, we are all determined to find a way back. We're using what we've learned to shape our response to this new variant, with hopes that soon we can all call it a comeback. This is our sixth and final episode of season one, a comeback from COVID. The Texas Tech system building is quiet and dignified. Everything about it is perfect, from the outside in. The foyer is elegant. Enormous glass doors welcome in the afternoon sun, casting light onto the massive rug and oversized cushy chairs beneath a grand public art display that hangs above. Across the room, there's a dark brown banister waiting to escort you to the second floor. We're offered a seat and water for the few minutes that we wait. Billy Currington on the speaker keeps good company. We're here to meet with the chancellor of the Texas Tech University system. We take the elevator up, where after a series of glass doors, we find him sitting at the end of a long wooden table covered in papers. He is clearly in the middle of something important. Go right on in here. But he made time for us. Chancellor? What's up, guys? Hi, how are you? How are y'all? I've only ever seen him in a suit and long white coat. Traditional for a doctor. But today he's casual. Boots and jeans and a button-down. You ready? Okay. My name is Ted Mitchell. I am the Chancellor of the Texas Tech University System. I don't even know where to begin asking him questions about his role as Chancellor. And I don't hide that well. But in so many words, he went on to compare his position as Chancellor to a CEO of a holding company. In fact, the day before we met with him, it was announced that Midwestern State would officially become the fifth institution within the system. Each of them has its own president, its own staff to operate the campus. 
And so it's silly for me to try to tell Texas Tech, these need to be your priorities, or the Health Sciences Center, these need to be your priorities. They come to us and say, these are our priorities and our job is, okay, what can we do to help you accomplish that? But even with the work of individual campus leadership, the chancellor has a very long list of responsibilities. And during a global pandemic, that only intensified. Everything started hitting. The, the first charge to our system is taking care of the students, staff, and faculty, period. Safety. And he would know something about that. His understanding would help him make decisions for the whole system and to advise others as critical operations came to light. So for the second time, I'm going to send you back to episode one, back to a familiar character. My name is Steve Presley. Um, because like several of the people we talked with, Ted Mitchell has a story about Steve. Director of the Institute of Environmental and Human Health. Dr. Stephen Presley, who runs that, said, you know what, I can take what is a reference lab here and I can convert this into a real lab for testing. He needed people that were laboratory technicians. So guess what we have at the Health Sciences Center? We have a, a, a department of clinical laboratory sciences where we train people to be medical technologists and laboratory scientists. The Health Sciences Center got him some help. That's not all that they did. That call that I got from Uli was unbelievable. It would go on to be one of the most powerful moments of the pandemic for the chancellor, that call. And let me tell you, it's a good story. By the way, when he refers to Uli, he's talking about Dr. Yurik Bickel. He's an associate dean of sciences and a professor of pharmacology. Originally from Germany, he's been at the Health Sciences Center School of Pharmacy in Amarillo for 30 years. Now, I am not on a first-name basis with Dr. Bickel, but I think for the sake of this podcast, it'll be okay if I call him Uli, too. When you stick a swab in somebody's nose and put it in that tube, the gel that's in the bottom of that is called viral transport media, VTM. And that was one of the things that we had none of around the state, around the community, around anywhere. I got a call from Uli Bickel, and he called and said, Ted, I'm looking at this. I can make VTM. I've been on the CDC website. I've been on the NIH website. I can produce it in my lab if I get some funding and if I get some help. So they got Uli the help and the funding that he asked for, and he did it. The VTM that he was producing would go on to help Steve and his team process and test those COVID-19 samples. Uli put all of his other projects on temporary hold for this, and word of what he was doing spread across the whole state. I get a call from a friend of mine at the University of Texas system said, I hear you guys are making VTM. Can you produce this for us as well? So we started producing it for their health-related. Get a call from uh, the governor's office. We hear you guys are producing VTM. Can you make it for other places around the state? So we're producing VTM that we're sending all over the state of Texas for testing. By December of 2020, they had produced more than 500,000 vials of VTM that were being used at hospitals, clinics, and schools across the state. And that number would continue to grow. And nobody asked Uli to do that. Just on his own, he stepped up and said, I, I can do this. You see, some parts of the pandemic were like this for the chancellor. But some days were extremely frustrating. You remember the conflicting information being relayed across the country. The fear that stemmed from simply not knowing what the truth was. He felt that, and he wanted to get the facts. But that would end up being a lot harder than it sounds. That's coming up on Fearless. Noel Sloan's office is just a few feet from the president's. 
During the COVID crisis on campus, these two were very busy and in constant communication. She serves as vice president for administration and finance. She's also the chief financial officer for the university. But she wears many hats and has many responsibilities on campus. And one of those is campus safety and security. Under that is emergency management. I really felt we needed to have somebody um, full-time in that position for emergency management separate from our police department and fire marshal. It goes without saying that we were all dealing with unprecedented circumstances. Campus was closed, and now that we were spread out across the world, Noel, along with other high-level administrators, were focused on how to keep the lines of communication open. Inner Matt Dewey. I think we, we really went down two paths. One, what are the decisions going to be? He's the chief marketing and communication officer for the university. And then figure out how we're going to communicate it. See, that's what Matt's team does. They're my team too, actually. Matt is my boss. His first few months on campus were challenging. He started in November, just four months before the start of the global pandemic. Just long enough to get to know his team. You know, literally, you remember those early days, we had students abroad. I remember uh, very vividly, we needed to bring our students back from study abroad. We had obviously 40,000 students on campus. We had six, 7,000 faculty and staff on campus. So we really had to figure out how do we use the tools in our disposal, you know, things like tech alert, social, email. Uh, we really made a decision very early on that we were going to over-communicate. Uh, we wanted to get the president out in front of this, but also everyone else. And they did their best. As his staff was making the transition to working from home, they were in overdrive, pulling out all the stops to make sure information was accurate and timely. It was a lot of work. They did it with emails, press releases, social media campaigns and posts, messages from the president, photos and videos. Hello, my name is Margaret Williams. Greetings, human sciences family. Hello, College of Education family. To all the Whitaker College of Engineering faculty, staff, and students. I hope that you and your loved ones are well. Thank you for staying calm. I want to thank you for your patience. Together, we can continue to make a positive impact. Our number one concern is you. Be proactive and stay safe. We are Red Raiders, and we will emerge from these challenges stronger than stay ever. Stay well and wreck them. And as we moved past those early days, campus leaders were working quickly with local and state health officials to set up COVID testing sites on campus. First as a drive-through or walk-up. Again, in the early days when it was all so new, was held out in the parking lot of the Texas Tech University Museum. Then to various other locations across campus. Um, I think in total there was over 25,000 tests um, done throughout our academic year last year. And before the vaccine was even on the market, the president created a committee to discuss how the university could provide a convenient option for anyone to get the shot. Again, procurement services was being part of that, talking about what kind of freezers we would need to buy to store the vaccines. We were already looking at that, getting orders placed so that when the vaccines became available, we would have a place to store them. United Supermarkets reached out when the vaccine became available for young adults. They could provide the personnel and um, offer it on the TTU campus. And again, that just made so much sense. Can you tell me your first and last name and spell it for me as well? Uh, sure, Angel. Last name, Achampong. Hannah McGrath, H-A-N-N-A. -N -N Tanner Jordan. And Tanner, uh, what's your classification here at Tech? I'm a senior. I had perfect attendance all the way through like kindergarten through like 12th grade. So I was, I never really got sick. So I mean, 
I was like, I probably didn't need it, but I know I had family coming up just for like um, graduation and stuff. You know, just like helping out family. You know, you have older members and stuff. And then, yeah, I didn't want to take away like any of the, if like somebody actually needed it more than me. So, I mean, it was just readily available. So I was like, why not today? These are just a few of the students that we met at one of the vaccine clinics inside the United Supermarkets Arena in April of 2021. The court is being redone at this time, so you'll hear that construction in the background. I miss the outdoors. <laughs> I miss like regular life, so. Yeah, and I had COVID. It was, I felt like I was gonna die like one of the days. It was pretty bad, so. That's Angel. Her mom is a nurse, and both of her parents were hospitalized with COVID. Angel had brain surgery during the pandemic. It wasn't COVID related, but the hospital experience was definitely different. She couldn't have any visitors. I'm a little relieved knowing that I don't have to get worried about getting COVID again. Like I'm one step closer to not being worried. Most students chose this clinic because of convenience. And that's exactly what the university had hoped for. It was super easy and quick, no problem at all. You go in, you tell them what time your appointment is, you sign out, you sign some paperwork if you haven't already filled it out online wait in line, go get a shot real quick, wait 15 minutes. That's the longest part that it took was waiting 15 minutes. I was able to park right up there, just walk up, and that was that, yeah. It was all smooth going through and everything. The email to sign up for the vaccine on campus came straight to students' inboxes. It could not get easier than that. I mean, in terms of communicating both early on through the testing, and then obviously over the last, you know, during 2021 with the vaccine, I think it's really important, not just the awareness and make sure that it's there and you know it's there. Do I need an appointment ahead of time? Do I need my student ID? What does that look like? But really working to dispel some of the misinformation that's out there. I mean, that is where you see how so many people come together so quickly for the benefit of our students as well as our faculty and staff. There's, there's never been a time that I've been involved with the institution that we've all moved so quickly. And here's the truth. We are still doing this. I think that's one of the things we learned from the pandemic that will never truly go away. Noelle talks a lot about evolution when we sat down with her. How her staff evolved, how communication evolved, how we all grew and learned a lot. It's that experience that gives us an upper hand against COVID. We have knowledge, we have the tools, we have the information now to move forward. And I think it's safe to say we all want that. Well, I think during a crisis like that, it's wonderful to see everybody pull together. We're back, sitting around a table in the chancellor's office, overlooking the Marsha Sharp Freeway. He's explaining some things to us about the coronavirus. It's a perspective that other medical professionals likely share, or possibly discussed after the 15-hour shifts, leaving the hospital exhausted, drained, just barely hanging on some days. Going home to try to rest before waking up and doing it all over again. I told you the chancellor was frustrated about some things related to COVID-19 in the early days. And most of it stemmed from this. We weren't getting good information. If you'll recall, within those first few months, we were getting conflicting information saying, you know what, uh, masks don't even work. Don't even bother with masks. Probably every physician around was saying, well, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why a mask doesn't work. If it stops droplets, it should do something to help. But no, no, for this particular virus, it doesn't work. Well, then you're told, well, yeah, it does work. 
and the information that we're getting, all the medical people that were listening to this stuff were saying, this doesn't add up, this doesn't make sense. And the information that we were getting was suspect and was very limited. And it was not only suspect, but a lot of it was factually false. And then we were basing our medical care on that. Something about those instructions didn't make sense to the chancellor. But more importantly, it wasn't what his training had taught him all those years. We were treating people like we treated other respiratory viruses. And for this particular respiratory virus, that was probably the wrong thing to do. So uh, you would immediately get people into an ICU, you'd immediately get them, if, if need be, on a ventilator, and immediately start using high-flow oxygen. Well, this particular virus has this, in certain people, this weird, strong inflammatory reaction that when they're on a ventilator and you're doing the things you would normally do for another respiratory infection, you're getting exactly the opposite effect. So once we started figuring that out on our own, and started modifying what it was that we were doing, mortality rates started coming down from it. Uh, but those are things that on the front end of it, you would have liked to have had better help from the World Health Organization. You would like to have had better help uh, from the Chinese government. And, and they were holding their cards close to their vest for reasons other than public health. And that was uh, disappointing to say the least. It also ignited a conversation in the Chancellor that he hopes will continue. Well, the lessons from this for me is that when it comes to PPE, when it comes to pharmaceuticals, those aren't commodities. Those are national security assets. And we better be thinking like that and quit thinking about outsourcing to the cheapest place that we can find solely because it's a cheaper way of doing it because that, that, that cost us lives early on in this thing. Honestly, I'm not sure because I don't know if we will get back to pre-COVID times. Once you've crossed the Rubicon, there ain't no going back. There is nobody in this country that had ever been through a pandemic and and so how do you manage it? There were probably times when we thought, this is the worst thing we've had to deal with. And then the next day would come. Sometimes it's important that we just keep shining, even though some days it's a little difficult to hold that torch up. I'm, I was able to do this. I, I made it. I'm definitely more uh, thankful and grateful for the things that I do have, especially realizing you know what it means to have those taken away. I've never just sat and been thankful and thankful for what God has provided me and I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Being a president is really a blessing because you're entrusted with something. I truly think the experience really brought us an understanding, a better understanding of what things are really important in life. It's really interesting how people come together. Throughout the past 18 months, but really those initial days really highlighted the value of our TTU community. I mean, there's probably a long list of, of people to recognize and thank. I'm very proud of my team, if you can't tell. We will all come back together to celebrate the fact that, that we have survived this. We have overcome this. And even with the people that who we, whom we lost and who will always miss, we will honor them by living life to its fullest.
It makes you think, doesn't it? What does it mean to be present? To not just log into your Zoom meeting on time. The idea of not just hearing, but listening. It's more than speaking, but making our words thoughtful and compassionate. What I know is this, we will continue to fight this thing. That's when we will truly be able to appreciate a comeback from COVID. Fearless is produced by the Texas Tech Office of Communications and Marketing. It's hosted by me, Taylor Peters, with special help from Allison Hearth. Fearless is a Texas Tech production. From here, it's possible. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to Fearless. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And stay tuned for season two.